And welcome back again. Uh, Andy Wint has been here throughout, and he's staying with me by my shoulder. I'm John Moss. Very pleased to have you here with us on the Baker Tilly uh, Isle of Man Budget Programme, a programme which has been going out for some years now. And, of course, we've had a slightly different format this year by having the man in line before. We have a plethora of guests in front of us, uh, including, I'm pleased to say, the Treasury Minister, who's sparing some time for he has to be somewhere else in a moment. So we're going to cut to him straight away. Uh, obviously, uh, we've heard the budget, uh, and you recall, uh, dear listeners, the VAT bombshell that created so much despondency um, over the last, is it two decades? I don't know how long it goes back anyway. But right at the start of his statement this morning, the Treasury Minister was able to give the nation some good news. The uncertainty of the final results from FERSA, what does FERSA stand for? The final expenditure revenue sharing arrangement, it's to do with customs and excise, the famous VAT, has been settled. And a good deal of cash apparently has been released for general use. This is how Mr Cannon put it. As honourable members will be aware, the Isle of Man's share of VAT and other common duties is based on methodology set out in the final expenditure revenue sharing agreement, or FERSA, as it is more commonly known, agreed with the UK Government in 2016. <coughs> the agreement requires that, for the purposes of calculating the island's share of revenues, an expenditure, expenditure survey is undertaken every five years to determine the amount of VAT and shared duties consumed by individuals and businesses on the Isle of Man. Under these terms, an expenditure survey was required for the financial year 2018-2019. This work has now been undertaken and following detailed and lengthy discussions with Her Majesty's Treasury brought to a satisfactory conclusion. I am therefore now able to confirm to you today that we have finalised the required FERSA calculations and agreed them with Her Majesty's Government in Whitehall. These agreed determinations mean that we can now be confident that the methodology applied in 2016 to calculate the island's estimated share of VAT and shared duties was broadly accurate. As a result of this agreement, I am today able to release the money from our cash reserves that we have prudently held back over the last three budgets to deal with any negative outcome from this valuation. In short, the determination of our final share together with our prudent approach means that I am able to allocate £44 million into our general reserves from where this money can be used to target our priority areas including funding for health and social care and climate change action plans. The Manx Radio Budget Programme, brought to you by Baker Tilly, Isle of Man. The good news released by Mr Cannon right at the beginning of his budget. Mr Cannon with us, as, as I said. Thanks for joining us. So in the, in the garden's now rosy, is it? We've got all of this cash we can throw around. We've got extra 40 millions um, out of reserves. Excellent news. Well, I, I mean, let's be absolutely clear. You know, we held that money back. Um, uh, a well-publicised uh, methodology applied to uh, withholding money um, in terms of being able to cope with any negative outcome from these negotiations. So, in effect, uh, it's great to be able to release that figure uh, of £44 million, but let me be absolutely uh, clear that potentially this is money that should have been applied to government spending in any case. So, you know, it is a matter now of uh, applying that money sensibly going forward. In some ways, it is good news because it does give us a platform uh, perhaps then to tackle some of the bigger items on the agenda, including healthcare transformation uh, and climate change. So, yes, I just want to bring a bit of, bit of balance to that. I think uh, it vindicates the approach that we took in terms of our caution around spending uh, all of our, uh, effectively allocating all of our money that, that was uh, coming in from VAT and customs uh, duties. Uh, but, of course, and now uh, it does give us a bit of a platform uh, and a bit of a boost, if you uh, like in terms of tackling some of these uh, issues going forward. Yeah, this is obviously a uh, should be taken in the whole, said the Chief Minister. It's a good budget, a nice steady budget, but interestingly in the gallery was your, your dad, uh, David Cannon, who I remember years ago suggested that £2 million of reserves wasn't really enough and we needed a lot more than that. There are people now who are saying that we've still got an uncertain future because we've got so much liability. Would you agree with that? 
Uh, well, I, d I, d I don't think so. I, f I think the island's actually facing up to, should face up to its future with confidence. I think actually what we've demonstrated today is that uh, we are on track to return uh, our public finances to a much more sustainable position, a position where we will be putting money back into our reserves. I absolutely think it's vital that the island continues or gets to a position where money is going back into the reserves for a rainy day. We saw what can happen in 2008. There's nothing to say that couldn't happen ever can you again. explain to people but who are listening that is the liability being looked after? Is it taken care of now or is there still this liability at the end of the road that we still haven't taken care in of? In terms of public sector pensions. Public sector pensions. Well, look, yeah, we, we, we set out very, a very clear plan to try and deal with this public sector pensions uh, deficit. Um, in terms of the way we set our plans forward, there was no, we set very clearly the, the fiscal rules around, if you like, the public sector pension in terms of the 15% allocation that came from government, the increasing in employees' contribution, which is now average up to about 10%, 10 uh, and the fact that the rest of the money beyond that was deficit, which government was going to draw down from the uh, reserve. And we clearly set the plan to ensure that when we get to at uh, the end of this term, and, and, and now as it happens, we've extended it out further to 2022, uh, 2023, um, that we can absorb that deficit into the revenue spending. And of course, that does not remove the uh, continued need for government to pay very close attention to public sector pensions and potentially any future liabilities, because that, that amount will potentially continue to rise. What we're trying to do is put that into a position where the rise is manageable, uh, affordable and and can be contained within uh, government's income. Can you can you um, satisfy? Can you reassure the public though? Because whenever public sector pensions are mentioned, hairs go running all over the place, and people get uneasy about it. Mr. Cameron. Yeah, well, and I can accept that. And you know the liability figures, which vary significantly depending on what's happen happening in the markets, uh, can can vary. I think the important message is to keep our eyes on the cash. Uh, the cash flows that are uh, being impacted on, you know, over the, of the forecasted period over the next few years. Um, it's impossible to say necessarily what will happen in, in 10 years, 15 years' time. You know, we've set a course appropriate for today. Uh, as I said, this matter needs very, very careful uh, attention paying to it. Um, we've taken the right steps, I think, for the current time. It may be, of course, in the future that a different approach uh, is needed. Can I just ask you about the air passenger duty? We have five and a half million, I think, from that, which is an enormous amount of money. Flybe, of course, publicly, have got some problems. Um, they've been given a deferral on their air passenger duty to, um, for a year by the UK government. Um, they've been given a helping hand. Uh, they fly in and out the island all the time. Does that mean we're going to lose out some of our cash? Uh, no, uh, there's no, there's no in impact. I think it's, somebody asked a question about that in the, uh, I think, the House of Keys or Timor uh, very recently. I can tell you that, uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's absolutely no impact in terms of our uh, duties that we're receiving in that respect. Five and a half million is useful cash, isn't it? Uh, that's about the sum we get. Would it be useful perhaps to put it into environmental matters, uh, things to, to combat uh, climate change and things like that, as it is taken from an area? Uh, which has been seen well, to be environmentally I think, dangerous. I think, I think uh, you, know, I, I, you know, all these amounts uh, you know, are consolidated and allocated. We have uh, allocated our amount for um, the environment going forward in terms of the £10 million we've announced to uh, get kick off uh, the government's uh, uh, requirements in terms of tackling the climate change. Um, uh, opportunities and challenge that, that are in front of us. As I said, we're going to return with much more detailed plans in the in, in the future. You know, all money in income streams uh, you know, need to be um, looked at carefully in terms of how they're allocated. But I'm satisfied the way that uh, this is put into our our general duties and general revenue at present. And one more question, because you've got to go. I know it was a point made, I think, in the Manon line by Tony Brown. Uh, the budget has to balance, but after that, basically, it's anything goes. So if uh, the health department basically is balanced now, but comes back in, say, three months, six months, with requirement for more cash, we're not breaking any legislation on the Isle of Man to actually vote it through. And that's a way of doing it. It's a way of the uh, government I, actually getting over that. Yeah, I mean, look. look. You know, public finances are, are, are challenging. Long, long gone are the days when we had excess cash floating around that, 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 that meant that we could you know, just effectively allocate more than perhaps was appropriate and more than departments needed. Uh, you know, we require very careful, uh, focused, appropriate managing of our public finances. But 
I think that we have produced a robust financial plan that is capable of meeting the challenges. You know, we, you will note uh, that we have invested a total of 50 million pounds, almost 50 million pounds over the lifetime of those last three budgets and more now today into directly into public services. We have also been able to deal um, we, you know, with the significant overspends in, in, in the Department of Health and Social Security. And I'm still able to sit here today and tell you, you know, and the public that we, we, are, we have a proper handle on our, on our financial plan, that we're going to um, deliver that financial plan as it stands today, and that we've produced more confidence in that financial plan by uh, uh, announcing what we did today uh, in agreement with the United Kingdom, the future methodology behind uh, the FIRSA forecast. Of course, you have to be circumspect in your outlook. Do you think the Isle of Man needs an increase in population for business to prosper? We've, we've, we've set out very clearly that we want to grow the population on the island, that we certainly don't want to see the population declining. We're absolutely committed to trying to find uh, policies and put policies in place to grow the working population on this island. I think it's absolutely critical that, that, that it is the working population that we attempt to grow. We, rec well, we recognise that you know, the demographic has been slight, become mm. slightly unbalanced. That's why we've brought forward uh, the incentives that uh, Department for Enterprise are using to promote amongst the business community in terms of national insurance holidays, in terms of relocation uh, assistance. And I think, as I announced today, actually we're back into positivity in terms of our population growth. The population is growing again. Business confidence generally across the community is good. Uh, most businesses uh, are, are either sort of standing still or looking to grow, grow their uh, staff over the next 12 months. So from a general perspective, you know, it is uh, about increasing the working population, but also increasing the diversity of opportunity that's available um, to people on the island. Mr. Cannon, thank you very much. I know you have another date to go to on this busy day for you, but thank, thank you. you very much for coming to us first of all. Uh, that's Alfred Cannon, uh, the Treasury Minister, who spoke this morning for, I think his speech was slightly shorter than it uh, has been in the past. It's been up to about one hour, ten minutes, but I think it was under an hour. Can, can I just, Phil Dearden, at the end of the table there, uh, the former um, the director with uh, Equium, um, what would you describe yourself as now? Uh, Phil, how would you describe? Because you've taken a slightly easier role, I think. Oh, no, it's very hard, but less intensive. <laughs> <laughs> Accountant with lots of little jobs. Accountant with lots of little jobs. You, uh, you and I, I was talking to you before, have a concern about the future of the Isle of Man in terms of liability, in terms of the cash that needs to be found. Yeah, I think this budget works in the short term. I think Mr Tier and Mr Cannon both have to be congratulated for keeping things going after the initial shock financial crisis and VAT. Uh, that's, that's good. They're to be commended for that because really services on the Isle of Man have kept going as they were. But we used to put 50 or 60 million into reserves. We used to have 100 million in the capital account and those were funds that were put away that coped with shocks. Now we're not putting money away to cope with whatever climate change or the pensions or what the health service needs. So and I think that's what June Watterson was getting at. I don't think he was upset that the budget was wrong. I think the budget copes with the short term till next year, but we need a strategic process. Mr Watson said he's going to vote against this budget. He did. Um, so, and there's a, a speaker of the House of Keys basically saying he's going to vote against it. Can I just go to David Gorn, um, who's now your vice chairman of the... Uh, the uh, Council of Voluntary Organisations. Voluntary Organisations. Um, I know that you feel, along with the other sectors in your area, that the government basically relies too heavily, perhaps. Yes, I, I think, um, as, uh, as Phil has said, uh, if you look at the budget as something of a balance sheet, then the devil is in the detail. And if you look at that, um, money has been given to the Department of Health and Social Care, but how is that money going to be distributed? Is it all going to health? Is it going to social care? We've had the Jonathan Michael report, which obviously uh, indicates that we should be doing more in the community, and, and that's right. We currently have, a, if you like, a time bomb, because more and more people are surviving chronic illnesses, trauma, that previously they would not have survived. Um, they have to be looked after, and most of those are looked after in the community. Uh, and I've made this point before, that if we are supplying more money to that department, how, what is the split? Is the social care side of it? getting properly funded. We're looking at the Wellbeing Partnership in Peel, which is working well, but again, 
it's, it's not a cheap option. So, and if we're looking at, and, and I know that, that Rob made the point in his, his speech about the, uh, the more vulnerable members of society, now I'm always a little bit concerned as to what we mean by vulnerable, but however, if we look at the more disadvantaged, then, then yes, if, if we consider the number of people who are now using the, um, the Grier Joplin Centre, which is over 500, the Food Bank, Housing Matters, and I was reflecting that about seven or eight years ago, um, Housing Matters, or Kemrick as it then was, tried to establish or looked at the possibility of establishing a night centre in Kingswood Grove. And that stopped after about a year because there was no demand. Now here we are eight years down the line with perhaps a much stronger island, um, but the numbers now are 500. So, so that's a massive deterioration in, in the situation. Okay, it's uh, 20 past one. This is the Baker Tilly Alaman Budget Programme with uh, John Moss. I'm Andy Wint. And uh, Ramsey MHK, Laurie Hooper is here. Uh, you felt that uh, Treasury wasn't bold enough regarding health, Laurie. Yeah, well, I, I think actually it kind of touches on the comments that have just been made here. What we've seen over the last few years is a very much a holding pattern, a very cautious approach from Treasury because they, they knew that these things like FERSA was coming. They knew these things were happening. And so they were trying to plan ahead. And what I think that's meant is over the last few years where government should have been taking some decisions, so we should invest in a housing strategy. We don't have one. It's quite obvious. You know, instead of investing in some of these preventative measures that would have perhaps tried touching and starting to solve some of our longer-term problems, they've just been very reluctant to do that. And I can understand why. Obviously, you want to balance the books. You want to make sure you're not spending more than, than you're bringing in, and that's a definitely a viable aim. But for that to be the only aim, rather than saying, OK, as well as making sure we have a balanced book, we need to make sure we're investing the right amount in social services, the right amount in, in our economic growth. That's where I think we've been lacking. Over so the you think the government should be spending for the benefit of... The direct benefit of the people. Yeah, well, that, that's essentially what I, what I summed up with in my speech, is, is the focus of any kind of government policy has to be on the people that are ultimately going to benefit from it. Yeah. Uh, the focus can't be on... But you on, can't give free things away all the time, can you? Oh, no, absolutely not. It's certainly not about, it's not about giving free services to anyone. It's about making sure the services we are providing are provided efficiently, cost-effectively, and that's another problem I think we've seen over the last few years. Lots of economic growth. The economy seems to be doing really well. Lots of very successful initiatives coming out of the last few years. Uh, but government seems to have relied on that a bit too heavily mm. from my book. So the way that they've paid for some of the uh, surpluses, for the way they've paid for some of the, uh, the shocks, as it were, has been by saying, well, actually, we made more income tax last year than we thought we were going to. So that's to help cover the cost. Yeah. Whereas programmes like the SAVE initiative, which was supposed to save us £25 million a year, we're down to five million as the target now. The reality is maybe half a million is what we're going to end up seeing. So instead of finding efficiencies, uh, really we're very, very reliant on this economic growth, this, this keeping, keeping going. And at some point my concern is that, that actually if that slows, if that doesn't keep going at the pace we're used to, what happens then? Yeah, just ask you, as far as your Ramsey constituents are concerned, obviously we're still waiting to hear news about the marina and that. How important is it to Ramsey? I mean, we've had these marina plans before. How important is it that this goes ahead? I think when you, when you talk about the marina, you're focusing on a very specific type of economic investment. I'd say it's very, very important that there is investment in our local towns, uh, which is why I'm very pleased that we saw the Regeneration Fund relaunched last year. I'm really pleased we're seeing things like a town branding initiative come out of DFE. So investment and creating jobs, I think, it, within our local communities is absolutely vital. Uh, if the marina project goes ahead, I think it will do these things. Uh, so obviously there is a potential benefit there. But when it comes to the marina itself, you have to wait and see, actually, the devil's in the detail. What is it going to look like? But in principle, you, I mean, uh, obviously, Peel has been transformed by having a marina. Peel uh, was somewhat down at heel. And Ramsey obviously had the opportunity of a, a marina 20-odd years ago with Dean and Dybel. It was always going to happen. And suddenly, in comes the land deal that nobody liked. And it was thrown. It was blown out of the water. And Ramsey, Ramsey missed. And Ramsey's closer to Whitehaven than anywhere else. It could have been... On, on that motorway of, of, of yachts. Yeah, and, and a marina might be the next big step for Ramsey. What we've seen over the last few years is that big investment in Parliament Streets. We've seen Ramsey really turn around, I think, real huge improvement in the kind of the, the local quality of independent shopping in the town. So the next step may very well be a marina investment. So I'm really waiting to see what comes forward on that. Uh, the Chief Minister has joined us. Thank you very much for joining us, Howard Quayle. Busy day for you, as it was for the Treasury Minister and all the other the members indeed. Just sticking with that Ramsey Marina, I know I've spoken to... Um, people who are behind that, and they spent a long time with, for instance, the expressions of interest operation. Did the government put that on fast track, or should it put it on fast track, to say this is a worthwhile operation for Ramsey, we should give it more support? Well, I think if you're going to be doing something on the size of um, the, the marina, really the first thing you should have done is go to see the, the landowner 
to discuss a strategy and then get the landowner which to go yourself. out. Which, which was government, but that didn't happen. The, the, the scheme was announced first and then um, started to communicate with government. Normally the accepted norm is you approach whoever it is that, that has the land and say, will you be prepared, would you be interested? And of course we're interested. Anything that helps the economy of, of the north, what the island, of the north, the island especially. Yet my family live in Peel and I've seen how fantastic the turnaround in Peel has been since the marina was built. Obviously there's been the problems on bad design with the silt, etc. But if you park that, it's been a phenomenal asset to the, um, the west of the island. And I think a project in the north of the island will be hopefully just as good for the economy, but it, it has to be done in, in, in a proper order. We can't just say because someone's said we want to do a marina, we would, we would really need to go out now for expressions of interest because it has to be fair and equitable to anyone else on the island who wants to do something like this if they may not be out there. But first and foremost, it should have, in my opinion, it should have come to government first and then gone out. But I'm delighted that someone has the, the view and the idea to do it and um, let's see how it progresses. Yeah, listening to your comments uh, on this budget, you described it being taken in the hold. You wanted to see it being taken in the hold, but there have been one or two criticisms. Um, and I think uh, from the Speaker, Joan Watterson, who said there should be more time for members rather than the six days be given to the members to actually cogitate the details, be able to question the departments about the details before uh, the process takes place that we've had today. Yes, it's not six days. It's, <clears throat> it's nearly two weeks that members get the documents. And when I first came in, it was only a week. Then it was extended by Minister Tia to the two-week period, which we've continued. I think it's worth pointing out that he seems to have a little bit of forgetfulness that he was a minister for five years in the Department for Home Affairs and didn't seem to be too concerned or offer to resign his position as a minister because the budget wasn't being done in the way that he wanted. And now that he's out effectively on the back benches, he, he's changed his tune. So he seems to forget why. If, if you've been a minister for five years and you had the opportunity to make those changes, lobby, and if you didn't agree, you know, and to me it's a resigning matter because it is a, if for him it's so serious. To vote against the budget is incredibly serious. And therefore, if he's doing that, why didn't he do it? when he was Minister for Home Affairs for five years. Such a challenge to him to step down, is it? Well, no, he was a minister for five but years. He should have done and, it then. and he should have done it then. He, he didn't, and now, when he's on the backbenches, effectively, he, he can throw the rocks that he didn't do when he was a minister. We've heard on the programme this morning some concerns about the level of reserves that the island has and the looking to the future, not to now. OK, it's, it's a good, wholesome budget, but looking to the future, the island man still has problems. Why? Because of the... On the reserves, when, they, the when res they're increasing, John. I'm surprised you're saying that, because my speech clearly showed that if you look at the pink book in 2017, the value of the reserves was 1.6-something billion estimated, and now it's estimated £126 million more than it was back in 2017 for the same year's reserves. So our reserves are growing. When we had the harbingers of doom, your own radio station was running headlines back in 2017 saying we're going to go bust. And here we are, the reserves have increased. I don't recall us running that headline. <laughs> I think it may have been the other media that you were thinking about. Um, but we do have an awful lot of liability on that, on that reserve, don't we? Well, back, as I say, in 2008, we had an incredibly tough time, and that's what got me into politics. We, we'd lost our um, two, nearly up, circa 200 million in real terms with the VAT renegotiation, and there was a worldwide financial crash. And out of that, we had to get the economy back on track. And also, we had a reduction in the population. Now, it's not a vast figure, but nearly 500 people increase in the population. And if you think, actually, with the disparity between deaths and births on the Isle of Man, the, in the new people on the island will, will be nearer 700 than the 479 or 480 that the Treasury Minister quoted. So you don't suddenly wave a magic wand, John, and the economy fixes itself overnight. This has taken a while. We've all been working together. Timbald members sit on departments that work on their proposals for their budgets. They then go in and meet the Treasury. It's something I've encouraged that we do as a team. And if you're not on a department, you can go and see the Treasury Minister. He invites all Timbald members to put over their views. So we are on a steady upward trajectory, but we can't be complacent. I think my speech clearly pointed out the transition period and whatever the UK negotiates with the European Union, we will have to be ready for that. But it is a strong budget showing growth, but 
we know there could still be problems ahead, and that's why we've got to be careful. Uh, just finally, because you doubtless got to be somewhere else, um, 25 million was what Professor Curran recommended that we spend each year um, to battle climate change. We've got, I think, 5 million to the Department of Infrastructure, another 5 million put bars. Um, but we haven't got any plans as yet. It seems to be, yes, yes, we will do it, we will do it. Uh, is that giving confidence to people that we are actually tackling what is you term to yourself as an emergency? Well, I think if you read the report, John, it would show that I've we have thoroughly. we have phase one, which is where we're going to carry out 60 actions, and then over the coming 12 months we will be working on phase two. We've put £10 million aside for the... Um, climate change, 5 million from revenue, 5 million from capital. And then the FERSA agreement will enable us to put a further amount into that. But it will be working together. We will be setting up a, a, a group of climate change, um, a t- climate change committee to ensure that we have a proper phase to approach going forward. But it's worth remembering, John, that the island is still only a handful of countries that has recognised the climate change emergency and is doing something about it. Chief Minister, Andy, have you got anything to add just, I just want to go back to, uh, I mentioned, I was talking to the Green Party earlier on about the Manx gas field. Uh, would it be government policy to exploit the gas field? Well, I think it's common knowledge that the transition on, on the climate change, that gas will be the um, product to help us transition to, to our net zero carbon emissions. And we, were, we are currently exporting gas from Norway via Scotland on a pipeline that ends up in Ireland, and we have a spur. So for the next 15, 20 years, we are going to be using gas as a tra- transition, um, maybe reducing volumes, but it will still be needed. So why would you pay? Also, along that gas spur, I think 6% is lost as it travels along the, the pipeline. So we're paying royalties effectively to the Norwegian government. This is the Manx um, taxpayer. Why would you, if you've got it in your own territorial waters, not pay royalties to yourself to maybe fund green technology going forward and cut down on the 6% wastage of the gas as it goes along its, its um, just, journey to the island? How, how, quickly, soon, how, soon, how soon could we start drilling for that gas? Well... That's something I do not know. A company has the rights to explore and they will be seeing whether it's economically viable to go ahead and the quantities there, etc. They will then report but back to But in principle, the Manx government approves and, and would like that to happen. Well, who, who wouldn't? If you, if you know you're going to continue to use gas and you can get a level of income to help you finance your um, green agenda going forward. That's exactly what Norway did. They are one of the biggest proponents of green technology funded by their sales of oil and gas. So we'd be mad not to do the same. We're going to have to release you because we're getting frantic signs from our production team. But Chief Minister, thank you very much for joining us. Thank We've you got very much. a plethora of guests. I've used that word before. Um, Debbie Hulsell is joining us. We've got Rob Callister sitting here who delivered a strong address this morning uh, in reply. One of the first speakers uh, as far as the budget was concerned. Just, just quickly, Mr Callister, you have uh, the long-term unemployment was one of the bones of your contention, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, when I looked at this budget, it was definitely a budget that supported hard-working families, and I think that the Treasury Minister has actually, that's been his focus over the last few years. But when you're reading articles online with regard to the difficulties that people are going to cry and to housing matters, just to name two, then we've got to take um, serious, uh, take real a look at those serious concerns and I'm hoping that what the Treasury Minister will do going into next financial year and his final budget that we actually start looking at some of those welfare issues, looking at the payment levels to the most vulnerable in our society. I also think we've got to start seriously t- looking at um, the over 55s on our island with regard to unemployment levels. There's, cl- there's a clear message when you actually research the budget that more and more over 55s still want to work. But if you actually look at the latest government figures, over 40% of our long-term unemployed is over 55. So do you think there should be government schemes to retrain, to recalibrate their careers? Absolutely, to retrain and to retrain and retrain again. And educate employers as well. It's, it's lifelong learning. I think we've got to remember that. Government has already set a path to increase our public sector pension to 68 over the next 25 years. A lot of people do not retire at 50 or 55. So we've got to create those opportunities and to allow them to actually to retrain and to retrain again. Can I just go to Debbie Halsell of the Unite Union? Uh, we've seen in this budget 2% pay cap 
Um, although it's interesting in the uh, education section, it said, uh, well, yes, 2%, but last year it was more than 2% because that's what we had to deliver. Um, is 2% a pay cap right across government going to create problems when you become to negotiations for United? Of course it is. We've done a three-year deal. Obviously, 275 come April, so... So what do you do? I mean, it automatically on the road to... Well, 0.75 has to come from pre-existing budgets, and that's something that the departments have to deal with. So you're leaving the department. You say this is what we are demanding, and you're going to have no, to no, find no, no, no. We've already done. We've already done the PN negotiation. A three-year deal this year for coming forward is two point seven five. So if it's capped at two percent, they have to find no point seven five from pre-existing budgets. What is the feeling amongst the workforce, the United workforce, at the moment, um, with their relationship with the government? Not very good. Morale, why? Why isn't morale, it very good? Morale. 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 Yeah. Morale is very low. The, oh, why uh, is that? I mean, we live in a lovely island, you've got lots of benefits, you've got the health minister, who doubtless will be telling the, the, the Timor Chamber about the good things that come to people when they live here. So why should people be unhappy? Because of certain circumstances within the government and within departments and the heads of departments, and I don't, mind, I don't mean CEOs, Could you I mean structure, structures. Yeah. Could you structures be yeah. So within structures of management, people feel that um, they're not valued anymore. Have a look at Have Your CSO Survey. Clearly states that people who work within services are very vocational in what they do, but do they feel as though they are valued? No, they don't. They have to then, we have, when we negotiate peer terms and conditions, if you look at the SAVE programme, one of the things was from um, bus and rail was... But just to explain, that was, uh, everybody was invited to give their ideas of how to save money, basically. Yes, yes, save it was. <laughs> and with that, there was £500,000 saving made from um, people's terms and conditions, well, from wage. So what does that mean? It's just a drive to the bottom. And all that our members keep seeing is that they're constantly being hit and there's never no reward. And I don't mean a reward as in financial a lot of the time, it's a thank you. When does any of our members, when does ever staff get told thank you for your service? Uh, just, just go to the MHK next to you, uh, that's Stephanie Kane. Uh, you've heard the budget, what do you make of it? Well, I commented on the point about the pay award having to be found from within existing resources and I questioned the Treasury Minister to give us a reassurance that if and when the current pay dispute is finally negotiated and settled with the education unions that any pay award would not have to result in cost cutting across divisions of the Department of Education and actually I made a, a bid to say are we funding and financing the education system adequately because out of you know previous year we were very happy to see the investment in the home affairs division and in the constabulary in particular but this time seven hundred thousand pounds towards education mainly for the apprenticeship scheme what about the schools what about mental health what about special needs and principally what about a type of pre pupil premium that gives extra support for those of particular social disadvantage. I was disappointed yeah, that there was nothing on that. Daphne, uh, members of the general public, our listeners, will be listening to, to this and just thinking, how can government break the logjam then? How can, uh, on, a, on a supposedly affluent first world island, um, how can we be in this situation? Well, I think what Mr. Robert Shaw had to say was very, to, on this point, um, we, we still are budgeting in individual departments and there are services and themes emerging, certainly in my community that I'm hearing about, that would perhaps benefit from funding for programmes to break down those silos, put the funding in a programme and make the outcomes and the, the performance of that programme be apparent, much more open in terms of what needs funding, what benefits the community, what the outcomes are going to be and if there's adequate funding for the services that need to be provided and the things that matter to people. Can you understand the general public's frustration at, at politicians not... Politicians, Mr Robichaud talked about silos years ago and they're still there. They are there, but we there's more people, I think, clamouring for change. And particularly, you know, in terms of this is a billion pound budget spending for an Isle of Man of 85,000 or thereabouts people. So is this the best we can do it? So take it or leave it. Vote for the whole thing or nothing. And we're saying there's some great things in there. And I know from the Department for Enterprise, we are very buoyant economically. There, The successes, the um, economic performance of government 
is very strong. You know, that, that that's where we're winning. But in terms of how we spend and how, you know, the places of most need getting the funding that they should get, um, that's where we've it's it's harder to keep a strong picture and a, f a focus. The, the minister, the treasury minister, said this was a budget of focus. But I think they're focusing sometimes too much on the figures and not on the people that need those services. Okay, the the sentiment of the Isle of Man. Uh, we talked about morale earlier on with uh, with Debbie. But I mean, uh, you're a very uh, assiduous constituency, MHK. What's the sentiment in Garth? The sentiment is we are pleased to see some potholes being repaired, road servicing going on in the Renab Road, for instance, off Cornet. You know, but it's it's very little and there's you know, I heard I heard your programme this morning. Potholes is a constant one that we not only would keep getting, but that there seems a lack of action. The but also man, the ditches. used to have roads from, like billiard tables. They did. In, and but we are getting worse weather, so perhaps the, the weather is having deterioration. Do we need to fund it better? But people on the ground want to see better um, community service provision and whether that's post office or whether it's funded from government or whether we need to have a, a conversation about what the community wants in the community hubs delivering services at local level for local people and where that should rightfully come from but equally what's happening with the flood strategy what's happening with the road safety strategy they're just words on paper until they're delivered I would just go to uh, Mr Ashford who's sitting at the end of the table the health minister um, you've had this job a while now it's getting any easier Two years, John, believe it or not, uh, so I've survived pretty well so far. Um, the job is never going to be easy, Minister of Health and Social Care. I think, as we've discussed on one of your shows before, um, I could actually probably take the whole Isle of Man government budget and spend it on health and still probably be asking for more. It's a never-ending stream with health, with the treatments that become available. So is it funded in the right way? I mean, there's suggestions you start at the bottom, work out what is needed, and then fund it, etc., apart from the... the system that we use at the moment? Well, over the next year, that's exactly what we'll be doing. We're going to baseline budgeting ready for the creation of Manx Care. So we will be looking at a service-by-service -service review over the next 12 months to look at the way that health is, service, is, is funded. So basically, you could say this is a transitional year for us. As, as far as private, uh, the private section of concern at Nobles Hospital, what news on that? Where, when are we going to get it? June this year, as we have pledged. And that's going to come in. And how important do you think it is to the Island to have it? I think it is important. I think it's, I've said all along, I believe it is important. We have a mix between the publicly funded NHS, but also private provision for those that wish to use it. I think it is a good mix, and I think it's an important mix to have, but it's just ensuring that that balance is right. Which is, Mr. Robert Shaw has joined us now. Um, you, are, you are, as ever, critical of aspects of the government's work. As ever, constructively critical. Well, think. constructively critical, yes. <laughs> but a fairly hard word you had to say about something. You wanted a committee, for one thing, um, um, a, a review to look into those well, aspects. Well, that sounds a bit sort of vague. I hope it didn't come over that way. I mean, um, I, I was talking about productivity. And what, what I was trying to say was that if you look at this budget, um, significant gains on VAT, great. Significant gains on uh, income f through people being in employment and enjoying... Uh, from the government's point of view, increased taxation, reduced outflow of funds because unemployment's dropped. So those are all, as it were, external to the government's own performance. What's lacking at a very fundamental level is the sense of purpose that is attached to increasing productivity. If you go back a number of years when this difficult situation first emerged, the tendency was to run everything by, through departments by, by crude budgets and there was a tendency to drive savings through reducing frontline services and suppressing uh, income. Now, that's all well and good for so long. That now has turned because there's a reasonable expect expectation that income should go up. What's missing is a real coordinated drive to get the necessary level of productivity. Now, I did say, in all fairness in my speech, that a short speech for a change for me, I hasten to add, but um, was that the key issue to productivity is, ca is significant capital investment in technology so you can shrink the bureaucratic process. Now, we've, to be fair to government, they've got a series of really important programmes running. My point was that it's all beginning to log jam, jam in an organisation called GTS, Government Technology Services, and that what, what we need to do to release that 
is have as it almost like a program board or panel sitting on top of that, coordinating, collaborating with all the a departments. Competent, competent panel capable of assessing progress and reporting regularly. Yes, was um, sitti sitting above the government uh, technology services themselves so that the, the delivery of these efficiencies start to engage. As it stands at the moment, I'm really concerned that uh, too much is being required for an organisation that is in its day job trying to run technology services in government. So hopefully there'll be a bit of a response to that. I mean, we've got David with us. I don't know how many technology programmes they've got in health running, but it's an awful lot of, of programmes. And if this doesn't get delivered on time, it's going to slow the whole process of uh, reinventing our health service. Mr. And that's just one Mr. example. Uh, Mr. Robertson, again, again uh, listeners are going to uh, hear you talking about um, reforming this, streamlining this, getting government working more efficiently. They've heard this for years, though, haven't they? Oh, and years and years. I mean, uh, it started years ago uh, with me defining it in a slightly different way, which is smaller, smarter government. That The whole concept was to introduce technology in a bureaucratic lump, as it were, and, uh, and enable more funds to be delivered to frontline services. And there are good examples of that happening in various other jurisdictions around the world. And we need to grasp this, bring it right to the centre and make it happen because, as you say, it's just worse. And the private sector's been doing that for years. They've been doing more with less for a long time. Lots of things have disappeared right along Athol Street and uh, business will evolve and business will find its own level. So yeah. why doesn't the public sector grasp this? The, well, because... <laughs> Because really, whereas all the people you're talking about in the private sector um, have competitors, and if they don't become more efficient and more customer-focused, their jobs and their businesses will go. There is no equivalent challenge to government in that respect because there isn't a replacement government there to step in if, if government doesn't do it properly. To, to achieve it, we really have to restructure the way government works because our current budgetary controls are very, very crude through Treasury. I almost feel sorry for Treasury having to control everything by crude budgets. What we should be doing is running our strategy by themes across departments. Can I just raise a subject we haven't raised as yet because we've got the Health Minister and indeed we've got Debbie Halsall with us. The subject of stress. Um, we hear this more and more in our society from the young up to the old. Um, obviously what you were talking about, about a lack of pay, you say problems and conditions, etc., leads to stress. Is, is the health department finding more cases where people are having to be treated for stress? Um, within health... <clears throat> Within health itself, even the staff within health, there is themes of increasing stress and particularly anxiety as well around change. Um, it's important we try to address that and we've been working very closely with the human resources sector of government um, to try and see what we can do. But also even in the private sector, I think we need to develop much better on the ground um, courses for people as to how to deal with stress, um, how stress can be tackled, including mental health issues as well. And that's going to be one of the priorities of the transformation programme going forward. Is there a problem more people read about stress the more they feel... That applies to me. Goodness me, I never knew. No, I, I don't think that's really the case, John. I think it, it's just, you know, everyday life is very quickly evolving these days. Um, things don't stand still for very long. And as human beings, we tend to like things to remain the same and be a constant. And it is very hard and very much pressures of work on people when things are changing. And certainly within health and social care, we are in flux at the moment, as I've said, with the transformation, everything going on. So it is important from our point of view as a workforce and health and social care that we look after our workers and we do what we can to try and help people who may be suffering from stress or mental health issues as a result. One more question because I'm sure you're busy at this today. The Canterbury model, um, this was raised, um, indeed Howard Quayle when he was minister went out to New Zealand and had a look at it. Where are we with that? It seems to have sort of disappeared. It, it hasn't disappeared, it was in the health strategy that um, the then health minister Mr Quayle put in place. You should explain the Canterbury body was getting more people treated at home, staying at home yeah. and getting treated and it, at home. And actually um, it was in the health strategy from 2016 which is still running now and also of course it plays a major part in the health transformation in terms of ensuring that we have integrated care because the whole integrated care pathway and what we're doing with 
healthcare transformation is about delivering more in our community. Why don't we hear more about it? Why don't we hear it? Well, I don't know how many more interviews I can really do no, on it, I'm John. Just, I, think, I, don't uh, see, I don't seem to hear the phrase around. I mean, that I seems think you, to be a good idea to myself to get people to stay at home and be treated. Well, like I say, it's all, it's all joined up in the integrated care model and the transformation. Um, but, so I'm not listening properly. But if you or Andy want to do a show with me on it, I'm more than happy to do uh, so. David, just before you go, uh, uh, obviously at some point in the this year, the health department is going to come back for some more money to government. When do you think that'll be? Well, that's uh, well, you're assuming there. Um, I'll be speaking this Based afternoon about... Based on past experience. It's going to happen, isn't it? Based on past experience, uh, obviously there's been issues, but I will be speaking this afternoon. I'm not going to preempt my speech, so you can listen with interest to what I've got to say about this year's budget. David Asher, thank you very much. Uh, we've got Andrew uh, Newton here of the... the Langan Newton. Lang Langan Newton, sorry. Um, who wanted to come in about uh, points that were raised by the Chief Minister about gas and about natural gas on the island. Yeah, I think it would be remiss of the Isle of Man Green Party not to respond to that narrative, which doesn't just stack up with the facts. As, as Mr Quayle said, as Chief Minister, uh, there's a private company that have the rights to explore, and then ultimately, if they decide, we would challenge that, e exploit um, gas from the field um, northeast of the island. Um, however, that does not mean that the Isle of Man will then get that gas. Uh, the Manx Utilities will no doubt be having uh, many future contracts of gas being supplied, as Mr Quayle says, from Norway, and they will be in contracts which will probably have penalisation clauses if they try to eject from them to get this prospect of gas uh, from the northeast of the island. So it just doesn't stack up this narrative that we should be doing it because then it'll just go to the power station and pour rose and be burned and then because we're going to burn it anyway. The Isle of Man Green Party says from today we need to stop that but also there's gas that's around the world that if we try to extract any more will just put us over this two degrees of dangerous warming that the IPCC has said we can't go near because it'll have catastrophes for the future so of the you, Isle of Man. you don't trust the government? Well, I'm just I'm being frank with the facts here by Mr. Quayle said we he's talked about, isn't it better to take it from the Isle of Man than take it from Norway? And I'm saying, well, there's no reality. There's no certainty that that's going to happen because this is a private company. They all sell the gas to the highest bidder. We at the Isle of Man government to try and buy that gas from Manx Utilities. They might be paying over the odds from what they'll be paying for in Norway at the moment. Interesting items raised by the MU. Can I just read a couple? The key challenges for Manx utilities include declining energy demand, which surely must be good, but also it goes on about the uh, routine planned maintenance of the combined cycle gas turbine plant at Pulrose causes a spike in costs and is the primary driver behind the budgeted deficit for the year. Can you explain that? Because I had a look at it and I thought, what does that mean? Are they just doing maintenance or what? Do you know? Well, I, I'm not clear from that paragraph, but presumably the, the gas power station as the sole monopolist structure for producing energy will need some maintenance to keep it up, uh, up to date. Um, so they have to go to Gaussware to get some energy for this, presumably. Pull in more? I don't know. We've got the infrastructure minister at the end. Do, do you know what, what I'm floundering here? Because I don't quite know what it means. Well, um, <coughs> I think... It, Sorry, it, Mr Harmer, Ray yes, Harmer, yes, minister. Uh, welcome. Um, um, it, um, just generally speaking, we need to sort of take a step back um, on the climate change um, agenda. And we had a great report last month. And what that said was there'll be quite a massive shift to electricity and in delivering uh, for renewable power, for delivering electric cars, for delivering air source heat pumps, which will be electric. We actually need to increase amount of electricity that we produce and that some of that gap will come through new renew, renewable energy i think you know we're taking starting to take a really bold and i, I think people underestimate how bold a step that we, we are doing with following the climate change uh, plan and uh, it's something i'm very passionate and really keen on it, it, it goes from things to do with active travel people um you know, say electric cars, you know, buses and so forth, and we're on that journey. Uh, uh, just a point that raised, I've got a family, two kids, uh, at the moment they go out and buy petrol and zoom all over the place, etc. If they all plug in at home, it's going to be down to mum and dad, isn't it? They're just coming with their wires, plug in at home, the whole family, thank you very much, and drive off into the distance with these wires lying so, over the pavement. So again, again, it comes back down to base infrastructure, and again, it's the investment, and then we talked about today's £541 million pounds of worth of investment in infrastructure. So the first step in that is to get smart meters to understand that you can charge better for, for so that, you know, the children coming home will be charged appropriately, or if it's on the street, it won't be free, but it'll be, it will be charged appropriately and so that it, it's a system that maintains itself. Okay, um, uh, Mr Harmer, I just have to uh, say one word to you, and that is potholes. 
Yeah. When are we going to get the roads back to a, uh, a sustainable level and a level that people in the Isle of Man can That's be proud of? Answer will be give me the money. Can be proud of their roads. Well, it's, it is it's partly giving me the money. I think I, we had a conversation a couple of years back. It said £80 million pounds, uh, would be needed. We're, we're getting, we've had since 2016 an extra £1 million pound in revenue. Of course, when, we have, when the prom is finished, that'll be a significant investment. Which is August uh, next year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and as well as that, we've got the Castle Street, Lord Street, um, some of that work. There's some, what my biggest beef has been that a lot of the roads in the countryside have been actually, if you go around St Mark's and places like that, they're quite nice roads and we need to get, and Ayrton Road and other places, we need to get that investment in the towns, which is where most people will say where the potholes are. The problem is that every time you dig a road up in the town, of course, that's that's a lot of inconvenience and disruption. So it's a balance of, between how much disruption y you enforce on people, and at the same time developing roads. But I will always argue for a bigger roads maintenance budget. There, there is a pothole on the way up from Braid Crossroads up to Chibana, which cars now drive around. I think it was left where they put a uh, something in the road, and now it's sunk. And cars actually go out round it, which is not very safe, actually. So any critical say, safety were done within 24 hours. Remember, a parish warden will only look at what each stretch of road, because we've got about 1,000 kilometres of road. They'll only look at it once a year. So if there's a pothole, the best thing, ring 85000 um, or, 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 or go on the report problem app. And if it's critical, safety critical, will be done within, within that period. Just moving on to Peel, uh, the £500,000 you're getting for the marina... Uh, have we got plans? Is there plans for a silt gate or a silt trap? We've got a number of different plans. The main thing, there's always two parts of the project. One part is get the stuff out. The second part is actually uh, deal with the um, the silt coming um, down. But it isn't not just about dealing with the silt, it's de dealing with the contaminants. We have two areas, Kinslow Reservoir with the zinc, and for Snuff the Wind, it's lead. Now, uh, there'll be, there will be measures that DEFA will introduce around the, the Snuff the uh, Wind area and, and Foxdale Mines. Also, Kinslow River Reservoir, that needs to be dealt with. When we deal with those contaminants as they come down, that will obviously, potentially, could mean that we could go to sea with the silt. Well, the when you say deal with, clean them, you mean? Well, it's, 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 there are, if you like, uh, certainly with regard to the reservoir, it's very interesting, it's quite technical, but in essence, it's not a natural reservoir. And in effect, it's slag heaps that we're pouring water on and then expecting it to be clean as, as it comes down the river. So the water going into the reservoir is actually at 40 parts, whatever, and it's actually it's about 10 times that when it comes out of the reservoir. So there are, there are reasons for the, why, why this happened. We have to deal with the source reason. OK, Mr Hummer, can you just tell us, confirm... The Douglas Promenade will be finished August 2021. Douglas Promenade will be complete. I, I, I'm not going to have a crystal ball of exactly what the date is. We're challenging the contractor always to improve and come up with innovative ways to, to deal with it. The point is that it's been done. That the first time for nearly 100 years that it's been done. And, and what we're finding is uh, the services that are just chucked into the road over the, over the past few years are just complicated the could project change. it could change yeah, but it obviously could as we're dealing with what we will see though as the project goes forward it will reduce the risk so as we as it changes from a service engineering to a highway engineering project where you're just dealing with the service the risks reduce and therefore we can be more certain about the date can we just we're well, coming to the end of the program can i just go, can finish off by talking to phil dearden who's returned to us uh, um looking over the island are you confident i know you've got some problems with the reserves and all is the island man going in the right direction as far as finance, as far as business is concerned? Yeah, I think it is, generally. If, well, I do talk to businessmen on the island. I do get the impression that businesses are doing well. In the main, things like gaming and fiduciary can't get employees and they're having to recruit off-island. I think our problem is a structural one in that we don't get enough revenue to the government. And we'll just have to go to David Gorm very quickly. Uh, you, you obviously have some concerns, but are you optimistic for the future and for the people who need the cash, the uh, lower paid? I think as long as everybody works together, and that includes government working with the third sector, it is achievable. And I think one of the things which was mentioned was creating uh, an environment where disabled people can achieve their maximum potential. And that means us all working together, whether it's the Minister for Infrastructure, the Minister for Health, we all need to work together to achieve that. Uh, we've come to the end of the programme. We have uh, a guest here who I've not been able to get Devin to. Watson. We Devin were going to talk to Devon Watson from the Fair Free campaign, but uh, we can guarantee we'll get you on the man in line fairly shortly. More buses, cheap buses, yeah?
Yes, yes Embry. exactly. Embry, thank you. Well, that's uh, the end of the program. Thank you very much for my guests who've been pouring into the studio here at uh, Timwalt offices. And in fact, uh, Andy Wint, who's been sitting next to me, and we're sitting here for the man in line. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the program and have learnt quite a bit out of it. But now, let's return to the studios. <laughs>